Good evening. This is the week before the Cliff Jones lecture, which is in this room at 6 o'clock on Monday the 30th. He'll be speaking on the de Gaulier collection at Southern Methodist University. His title, incidentally, is entirely a reflection of his attempt to be as spirited as the lecture tonight's title is. And I see us going in for a time of competitive, provocative title writing around here, something which I certainly encourage, uh, since if I'm going to set a poster for them, I want something to set that's stimulating for me as, as well as for the audience. Our speaker this evening is, of course, Linda Clausen, the rare book librarian at the University of California at San Diego, who will be talking about her interesting adventures in straightening out a place which had many resemblances to an abandoned farm when she got there. I was hesitating because I remember something Carol Niemeyer once said, that in the library world there are no longer problems, there are only challenges and opportunities. And I think that Linda has had more challenges and opportunities than most people uh, have ever had in coming into a job before, about which we shall now hear. Linda Clausen. Thank you, Terry. Um, do I need this microphone? It's recording. All right. I always think I have such a full voice anyway that I don't really need amplification. Um, in all honesty, I should say that Terry suggested the title for this talk of hoeing out the Augean stables, and I wasn't really paying too much attention at the time. Or I might have remembered that um, <coughs> Hercules didn't use a hoe, as I recall. He flushed out the stables um, and perched as the University of California, San Diego is on the bluffs overlooking the Pacific. That might have been a more apt title. I mean, one might hope for a tidal wave at some point. Um, one could start over. Also, when I was thinking about it, um, the hoe as an implement is something that, that, well, as I imagine using a hoe, pulls the problem toward oneself. That isn't what one wants to do with the kinds of things I'm going to describe to you tonight. What I hope to do tonight is just to really have a conversation with you about um, really my first year at the University of California, San Diego. It's just 13 months since I went there from Washington, D.C. Um, sort of set the context for the university and describe to you the situation um, as I found it and what I'm trying to do. Um, to change that and some of our small successes and some of the obviously large problems that remain and are going to remain at San Diego for many years. Um, a continuing challenge, I guess I should say. The University of California at San Diego is part of the University of California system, which now has nine campuses, um, the best known of which, of course, are Berkeley and UCLA. San Diego is supposedly one of the newer campuses founded in the late 60s. Several weeks ago when I was at Charter Day at Berkeley, um, the celebratory day founding the University of California system, I was quite amused to note that the various delegates from the nine campuses who march in order of 
their institutions um, welcome into the UC family. San Diego marches third, preceding UCLA, Santa Barbara, and some of the other campuses. That's because the Scripps Institution of Oceanography was founded more than 80 years ago and is now part of San Diego's campus. So we, we have history that way. The University of California system is governed by the Board of Regents, which makes it a, although it's a public institution, it has a quasi-private element um, in its governance. In real practical terms, this means if the state's budget fails, the regents continue to pay the salaries of the people who work for the University of California. The other systems within the state include the state university system, which is completely separate. This includes schools like San Diego State, which is in town, Long Beach State, Cal State Chico, um, Cal State Northridge. There is also the community college system in the state. And the University of California of course, prides itself on getting applications from California's finest. Um, it must accept a certain number of students who have an average above whatever the current year's cutoff point is, and the other systems consequently take students with lower grade point averages. The entire budget for the University of California system um, statewide, money that is given it by the state legislature is nearly $2 billion. The total enrollment on the nine campuses <coughs> is nearly 140,000 students. The total library budget for the nine campuses is nearly $87 million. Um, that gives you some idea of the, the scope of University of California. I thought it might also be useful to tell you a little bit about San Diego. Um, itself. It is one of the two largest counties in California and stretches from the Mexican border um, more than 50 miles north um, to just below San Clemente, which I'm sure you're all familiar with for other reasons. Um, San Diego itself now is the eighth largest city in the United States and allegedly the fastest growing city in the United States. It has a population of almost 1.5 million and most of that growth has happened in the last 15, 20 years. Like most urban areas, um, it's characterized by extremes. You can imagine with our closeness to Mexico, um, the extremes, one of the extremes is a number of immigrants um, into the area, contrasted with lots of old money, um, old retired money in San Diego, most of which is in La Jolla, which is where the university is actually located. La Jolla is um, a city within a city. It has its own post office, um, even though it's within the city limits of San Diego. Um, there's lots of new money in the area also. And a lot of the industry is characterized, um, well, I guess it would be quite similar to what Silicon Valley around Stanford University was X number of years ago. Lots of high-tech industry clean industry, um, and lots and lots of money. The city itself is constantly building up and out. It has an enormous amount of land available to it. 
and it is not uncommon as one's driving along the freeway to see yet another housing development, you know, when suddenly next to a village of, or town of 40,000 people, they are building a housing development that will put another 40,000 people there within X number of months. It also happens to be a relatively conservative Republican area. The other local educational institutions, um, I mentioned one already, San Diego State, which is part of the state college system, which is twice as big. It has nearly 30,000 students um, enrolled. And the University of San Diego, which is a private Jesuit institution in town. This all becomes terribly confusing because we all have the same initial letters but slightly rearranged. So you have UCSD and SDSU and USD and this creates great problems with the mail sometimes. I think another important element about the University of California, San Diego is that it is only 100 miles south of Los Angeles and the University of California located there. Um, UCSD is about to celebrate its, what it has determined to be its 25th anniversary next year. Um, since Scripps was founded more than 80 years ago and the state legislature began thinking about founding a university in the late 50s, um, it was a little unclear whether they were going to measure um, the founding from the, the first graduating class, from the, the first student who was enrolled, whatever. But for fundraising purposes, they have decided that 1985 is the 25th anniversary year. In any event, um, you can see I am still speaking about a relatively youthful institution. Its first graduating class um, is largely made up of people still in their 40s. Um, it's different from the other institutions that I've been associated with who have large, well-established um, alumni organizations, um, a larger pool of um, support in the community than a relatively brand new institution has. In the 25 years, more or less, that the University of California, San Diego has been in San Diego, um, there has been notoriously bad town-gown relations. This has something to do with um, a more, oh, less conservative institution being founded in the midst of a very conservative area, bringing in people to, on the faculty and as students um, who weren't really part of the uh, demographic makeup of the area before the university was there. And also, of course, in the late 60s, um, a very politicized campus. Um, Herbert Marcuse was the head of the philosophy department at UC San Diego. Angela Davis was his graduate student. Um, there were many reasons why the town would have been happier had the university been located someplace else. And in fact, on maps that the Chamber of Commerce produced during the late 60s, the University of California did not appear. Um, that's no longer true. Actually, I think there is a Columbia connection because the chancellor during the late 60s was William McGill, who, after baptism by fire at San Diego, came to Columbia, I think, just in time for another set of problems. Or as the result of all the experience in 
Yes. Yes. So, but the 68 happened under the reign of the former president. Our gift to Columbia. The total campus budget for the University of California, San Diego, is $400 million. That is the 83-84 budget. $100 million comes from the state legislature, and $300 million comes from outside sources. We get more grants than all of the other UC campuses, more federal grants than all of the other UC campuses put together. There is an enrollment of 13,000 students, most of whom are undergraduates. There are only about 4,000 graduate students. Um, and those of you at Columbia, where you can probably search for weeks before you find an undergraduate student, um, un will understand how that makes our campus quite different. Um, it makes the libraries quite different also, because the majority of people are not engaged in research. <laughs> the graduate students are enrolled mostly in the schools of science and engineering and medicine, the areas for which San Diego is best known. The university administration itself is composed largely of scientists and social scientists, and I find this significant because I think they tend to use, have used libraries differently from humanists. Um, so when you're making an argument about expanding the library, whatever you have a different kind of audience. The university library is composed of five libraries, the Central University Library, um, an undergraduate library, a science and engineering library, a biomedical library, and the Scripps Library. The 83-84 budget for the library was $9.9 .9 million, which was given by the state, and only $700,000 in outside funding. The youth of the institution um, and the library could perhaps be gauged also by the fact that in its history, the library has had only two federal grants, um, one from the National Endowment for the Humanities and one a Title IIc grant, which was given last year. Um, something we're also trying to change. I'm giving you sort of, Terry said you would want to know through all this statistical stuff. So I so I'm, have had someone look all of this up. The Out of the 9.9 .9 million um, for the library, 4.4 million is spent on salaries, um, 2.7 million on acquisitions. There are now 1.6 million volumes in the library. Um, the library in the late 60s had to be built largely um, overnight, one might say from very little. All that was there was the Scripps Library. And Mel Voigt, as the first university librarian who had not an inconsiderable amount of money at his disposal to create a university library, did rather a remarkable job. And in something less than 13 years, the library grew from 30,000 volumes to just over a million volumes. That was in 1973. In the <coughs> Well, 11 years since then, the library has added only half a million volumes. Um, and we are now buying 30% fewer books than we bought this year than we bought last year. Having all of that money to buy books in the 60s um, and charged with creating a university library means that money was spent on acquisitions and not on processing of collections. 
and our inheritance from that is that we have over 100,000 uncatalogued volumes um, in a storage collection in the basement, um, some of which are wildly interesting, a lot of which are just junk. But just the physical act of going through, either trying to weed, um, determine what should be kept, what <coughs> could be easily discarded, requires such an enormous amount of time and energy that it largely remains um, an unmined collection. The Mandeville Department of Special Collections was created shortly after the university library was established. So we were credited with something more than 20 years worth of history. And <clears throat> I guess I am struck by what one thinks one sees um, when one is at a place for an interview and then the reality of the situation when one gets there. And sometimes they are farther apart than one thought. Um, some things are better than one anticipated. But let me try and describe to you what I found in February of 1983. And some of these things I continue to find. There are constant surprises um, in the department. It is a collection of approximately 70,000 volumes, <coughs> which are largely inaccessible bibliographically. The, there are 35,000 uncatalogued books on the eighth floor of this library. That is, the eighth floor is special collections. And I would estimate probably another 20,000 which are under-catalogued. Um, when rare materials were catalogued um, prior to 1976, no subject analysis was given for them because people then might use them more. One of those stories, right? <coughs> So that there's a lot of work, obviously, that can be done there. The use of the collection um, was practically non-existent. The first head of the department, um, someone who was there for almost 15 years, um, discouraged use by everyone, including the faculty. And the second department head, I'm the third, um, the second department head didn't discourage use but didn't actively encourage it at all, so that there had been little or no attempt to work with the faculty um, or even with other departments within the library. One of the strengths of our collections, um, for example, is in Hispanic materials and Latin American materials. And the Latin American bibliographer on the staff, who had been there for eight years before I came to San Diego, um, had only ever been to the Department of Special Collections twice which I just found an appalling sort of statistic um, describing how little interaction there was between the, between the Department of Special Collections and any of the other departmental um, departments in the library. As a result um, of this, I think there was great ignorance on the part of the library staff, um, not to mention the faculty and university administration, just about what was in special collections um, and about what it, what it was actually supposed to be doing in the library and on the campus. Um, it was just sort of completely isolated um, from the academic life um, of, of the campus and, and the rest of the library. The collections themselves, and here I get to see if my props arrived after I forgot them. Did you? 
bring some brochures. Okay. Um, I actually brought something to hand out. Thanks. Um, very from the absolutely first-rate world-class collections, um, say, in the Spanish Civil War and Pacific Voyages, to absolutely some of the biggest mistakes I have ever seen, um, largely due to a very undiscriminating gift acceptance policy, so that while you might have wonderful Renaissance collections that had been bought um, from real figures in in, in the academic world, like um, Don Cameron Allen's Renaissance Library that we bought would be sort of housed next to boxes of bicycle license plates, which surely interests somebody in the world, but not <laughs> the University of California, San Diego. <clears throat> the best collections, um, and I use the word best to describe those that I think best support the research and instructional programs at the university, the ones that are most comprehensive, had had very little to do with the library staff um, or the staff of the Department of Special Collections. They were collections that had been initiated um, and nurtured by, well, usually by a, an individual, a faculty member or a private collector. For example, the Archive for New Poetry, which is one of our largest collections and supposedly one of the three or four um, largest collections of modern poetry in the United States, had been established by Roy Harvey Pierce, who was one of the early humanists on campus, um, completely supported by the faculty who did all of the collection development work, um, who did all of the reference both general and specialized um, for the department, um, largely unknown and um, unhandled, should I say, by any of the, the staff in the Department of Special Collections. The Hill Collection of Pacific Voyages um, was formed by a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley, um, Kenneth Hill, who retired to the San Diego area. Um, and decided that he would like to give his collection to the university and chose the San Diego site, not only because he lived nearby, but because it was a young institution. Um, and supposedly the, his collection would add more luster to a new institution than it would, say, at a well-established place like Berkeley. The problems of finding materials um, in the Department of Special Collections were really... Uh, Curious. There were more than 60 separate shelving locations. Um, everything had been kept by collection, whether it had been given as a collection, whether it had been bought as a collection, whether somebody just decided one day that this would make a nice collection. Um, individual authors who, whose works had just been sort of pulled out and housed, not alphabetically even, but just in random locations around... Um, a rather large floor of the library. This, the problem was exacerbated by the fact that, of course, all the catalog cards were, should have had the collection name stamped on them so that our student pages could just sort of walk to the appropriate collection and find the material. Um, 
it never worked so simply at San Diego. So we spend lots of time looking not only physically for books, but for books that are supposed to be in the collection, um, whose cards have never been filed. We've suddenly come across things that people were looking for three months ago. Um, we have reduced the number of shelving locations, at this point anyway, down to approximately 15 at last count. It's, some, it's, it's a bit more manageable, but it, it still has lots of problems. I'm sure any of you that have read Terry's newsletter, um, which tried to fill people in on the state of San Diego, um, knew that there was not even sort of a basic reference collection um, in the Department of Special Collections, let alone a specialized one that reflected what the strengths of our collections were. There was also completely inadequate staffing in the Department of Special Collections. Um, once upon a time, there had been three professional positions. When I arrived, that had been reduced to one and a half. Um, the support staff had once numbered eight and had been reduced for whatever reasons to five, um, not all of whom are able to work a, a hard eight-hour day. Um, well, some people aren't able to do that, that's all. Anyway, when I was thinking of all these sort of minuses um, about San Diego and, and what I think my job at San Diego is, which is to effect change somehow, um, then again I thought of Terry's title about hoeing out the stables, and I thought perhaps a more appropriate title might have been Diamond in the Rough somehow, and what the facets of the diamond are, um, the pluses at San Diego, um, and some of the reasons why the job appealed to me, and how one tries to work with the positives to effect um, change in this institution. Um, there are wonderful collections at San Diego. The, the institutional collection in the United States on the Spanish Civil War, um, for which we have had an NEH grant for the last three years to try and catalog this collection, is absolutely wonderful. The Hill Collection of Pacific Voyages, which includes Spanish and English and Dutch and Swedish and German accounts of travel um, pre-1850 to the Pacific, um, voyages of discovery and exploration. Absolutely first-rate collection. Complements beautifully a lot of the collections historically that had been at Scripps in the Institution of Oceanography. And since we tend to have more specific kinds of programs, I guess I can call them, um, in our institution. We have uh, Chinese studies, Japanese studies. We also have more Melanesianists on our faculty than any other United, continental United States institution. Um, we try to build on the Pacific collection now, the Hill collection, to include Pacific Rim and Pacific Islands, um, in the, those kinds of cultures. There are superb professional and administrative staff in the library who are very supportive of special collections. Um, that's a plus. They may be uneducated about special collections right now. Um, I think I'm one of two 
sort of rare book special collections persons in all of, you know, working in San Diego, other than some book dealers who have a different perspective. That was um, something that was, that was a big drawing card at San Diego. They're also interested faculty, um, even though they haven't used the collections because they don't know what's in the collections. When you talk to them, they are interested, and the collections there do support um, a lot of work that's being done on campus, both instructional work and research. There are good students at San Diego um, who are interested in the collections once they know what's in them. Another plus about San Diego and um, a reason for going there is something that I think, I still see this as a plus. We have what is apparently the world's largest Friends of the Library organization. We have passed the 3,000 mark for membership. This now requires a full-time um, clerical person just to keep the mailing list straight. I should probably explain uh, one of the reasons why it's such a large friends group. The state, until this last year, has charged, um, this is the entire UC system, $25 a year for a library privilege card. Friends membership, which includes a library privilege card, has been $15 for the last uh, nearly 10 years anyway. This is something that is audited by the state every year, and they just sort of keep passing it on, sort of not realizing that, like, they must realize that they're losing a lot of money this way. But it's because any money that comes in through the sale of true library privilege cards goes straight to Sacramento. Any of the money that comes to the Friends, of course, stays within the Friends, i.e. stays on campus. Um, this year, the state raised the library privilege card fee to $50. So far, our library has sold four of these <laughs> this year, um, and Friends membership just went shooting up. Um, I think the state has caught on because there are all sorts of rumors. I don't know if this is true at UCLA also, that the state is going to levy um, some kind of fee for the sale of library privilege cards and whether or not you have sort of sold your quota, you're going to have to pay X amount of money to the state. Um, our friends are also about, for the first time in many years, going to raise the dues because since the library privilege card now has gone up to $50, we, I shouldn't say we, um, the friends will raise the, the dues to, 20, the basic dues to $25 this year. So I think we will still see more friends memberships than the sale of library privilege cards, no matter what the state says. Another um, appealing reason about San Diego was the um, apparently adequate budget for special collections. And I should explain um, somewhat the budgeting process at San Diego. There is a line item for special collections in the library budget. It has traditionally been just about $15,000 a year. That isn't at all an accurate reflection of what kind of money is spent on special collections materials. Most of the money is divided up among um, various subject areas, which are controlled by various bibliographers on the staff. Um, so that any of the materials, say, we might buy for the South Pacific collections, um, 
even if they were coming to special collections, we can go to the bibliographers and say for anthropology and make a case that it should come out of the anthropology funds and not out of special collections. Most of the materials that are bought for the Archive for New Poetry come out of funds that are earmarked for um, literature. So that very little materials that pertain to specific subjects have had to come out of special collections funding. That can be used for wild and crazy projects, I suppose. Um, what has happened this year is that we have had, as an experiment on the part of our, on the part of the library administration, unallocated funds, which means that one is vaguely supposed to remember that your limit last year was, you know, twenty-five thousand dollars or something like that. But trying to urge us to be more creative in our spending habits, we are not um, constrained by a a limit anymore. One of the reference librarians has accused me of interpreting that as a blank check for special collections. And I must say we've bought more this year than we have before, but I have said that's because no one was really interested in buying um, for special collections before. No one ever has kept track of this, so I don't have an accurate figure um, on what the total amount has been spent for special collections um, before this year. I am now trying just by keeping track of our acquisition slips and all to get an accurate figure on that. Not only things that I would have bought, say, out of special collections funds, but things that would have come out of the other bibliographers' funds. Um, so far this year, we have spent more than $50,000. Um, and depending on whether we include one of our manuscript collections in that, it would be closer to 65. Um, this is sort of a continuing thing. The Friends um, contribute prior to this year an, an average of $28,000 on top of this for acquisitions. Um, this year, the Friends acquisitions will exceed, I was going to say 50, but I think it is, it will probably exceed $45,000, and I don't know if it will get to $50,000. Um, it's, I'm sure, it goes against everyone's training to say that money isn't a problem, but in terms of acquisitions in our library, it really isn't a big problem. Now, if we suddenly had to come up with, you know, a quarter of a million dollars to buy God knows what, um, that might obviously pose some problems. I'd like to think that we could go to the friends or to several of the individual friends. Um, at the moment, I can't think of an occasion where we would have to do that for something that would cost $250,000. Um, I think one of the most compelling reasons um, why I went to San Diego and uh, a reason that continues to interest me is that UC San Diego is at its historical point when the campus um, has decided that, I should say the chancellor, the university administration has decided that the humanities at San Diego should be as distinguished as um, the science programs. This has to mean a lot of money for the Central University Library and for special collections. The campus 
after 25 years, is initiating its first, very first fundraising drive ever, a modest $25 million, um, which since they raise more than $300,000 in outside money every year, I can't even imagine why they are worrying about raising an extra $25 million. But this is a very large effort that is involving the community, um, the faculty, uh, statewide, whatever. And it is also the beginning of the libraries thinking about building, I mean actively thinking about building <coughs> distinguished research collections rather than just being sort of passive recipients, say, of gifts that happen to come along. Um, the campus is about to write an NEH challenge grant in which the library figures prominently. And the library is also engaged in discussing in which selected areas it is going to try and build distinguished collections. Um, it has been realized that in a youthful institution like ours, um, and even though I say we are not at the moment hurting for acquisitions money, we certainly realize that we are not about to become, uh, there's no way one could become uh, a Berkeley or a UCLA or a Columbia University. Um, one can't be comprehensive in every area, perhaps not even in many areas. So we are trying to determine which areas exactly we are going to try and build the preeminent collections, um, areas in which we will try to collect comprehensively. Obviously, we will be doing that for Pacific studies, um, certainly in new poetry, modern poetry, probably in Hispanic and Latin American materials, um, and probably something that has to do with 20th century values, which gets into lots of science and um, public policy kinds of issues, which is something else our campus is very concerned about, but I will let you read about it in the brochure more. Um, how one goes about trying to, um, even with all of these pluses and the facets of the diamond, um, to effect change um, is something that concerns me a lot, obviously. I feel somewhat hampered by having to, instead of just coming in and being able to do something, one is constrained by having to undo or redo a lot of things. That takes I mean, so much more time and energy, I'm sure you all know. Um, certainly more money. And in terms of re-educating the faculty and the administration and the library staff, that's just sort of an ongoing, an ongoing concern of mine. Um, one tries to promote knowledge about the collections and use of the collections um, through publications. This is the first brochure we have ever done, that San Diego has ever done about at special collections programs. <coughs> Which just gives a very brief overview of what some of the collection strengths are. There is a newsletter for the Archive for New Poetry, which is distributed more interpretive kinds of articles. We've also instituted a faculty newsletter, um, which stresses collections and services to the faculty and we try to avoid things like putting in announcements about you know asking faculty to get their reading lists in and all of that kind of stuff um, 
we're trying to do more and better exhibitions, being somewhat constrained by the lack of exhibition space, um, but are having more exhibit cases installed so we can do larger interpretive exhibits and try and show what we know about our own collections um, to other people. We encourage um, various classes to come and use the library and Department of Special Collections um, through the use of, well, by encouraging faculty lectures, um, sort of show and tell things in our seminar room, which we have um, established on the eighth floor. We also are trying to encourage special groups, um, both from within and outside UCSD, to come and use special collections, just to let people know what we have. Um, about two weeks ago, a group from the Stanford Associates, um, which is their Friends of the Library group, came down for a weekend in San Diego um, and came first to our collection for tours and all. The Western Map Society is meeting in the Department of Special Collections sometime in May with a large exhibit from the Hill Collection and the Map Collection. And we recently had a group of about 20 um, historians of modern Spain who were encouraged to come to the Department of Special Collections for brunch and then were permitted to browse um, without food through the Southworth Spanish Civil War collection. Through the generosity of the friends, we are going to be able to purchase a printing press um, and establish a teaching press in the department, um, which interests more than a few of the faculty. We're constantly trying to think of um, new ways to process this vast um, sea of unprocessed materials that we have that now is so vast that there is no way the catalog department can deal with it with the um, number of people they have. We're looking at new grants that we can get. Um, we are exploring ways to use our new microcomputer so that we can provide perhaps um, quicker and dirtier access than the catalog department um, is able to do, but at least there will be some kind of access. We've established a faculty advisory committee to special collections, um, choosing people largely from the humanities disciplines, but also including some people from science and the social sciences who have um, an interest um, in books, asking them to come up with ways that we might relate our collections and our activities um, to campus programs that way. We are trying to be more creative in how we ask the friends to support us um, through volunteer efforts, through funding of programs other than acquisitions, um, for instance, processing of materials and for various publications. The friends are, have been a little resistant to that. Um, they are not particularly interested in hardware and trying to make a cataloging project sound sexy enough for our friends group um, requires a little more imagination. We in Special Collections are trying to work more um, closely with the bibliographers on the general library staff. I mean, these are people who have expertise and wonderful subject um, skills. They ought to know about the materials in special collections that relate to their fields. They're the first line of exchange with the, with the faculty and with the students, and if they knew more about the materials in special collections, 
I think there would be, there would certainly be better use of special collections. One of the harder things to do in San Diego is to try and to change and to increase the staffing in the department. I'm sure any of you that work within a bureaucracy know how seemingly impossible it is to change staff um, who, for whatever reasons, um, do not make a, a full contribution to the work of the department. Um, you can try and talk with other department heads about trading staff. Um, sometimes that works. If your staff's reputation precedes them, there's no way anybody is going to buy that. Um, you can try and look toward outside money um, for staffing of special projects which I think has a limited interest. In the long run, you're not really building um, a permanent staff that is there for the long haul. So I think that that has, is, is a mixed bag, actually. We're also engaged in a very active deaccessioning program from the Department of Special Collections. When I spoke before about um, a rather non-discriminating gift acceptance policy, this now is our inheritance um, from that, where we are just looking at lots of collections. For instance, a San Diego author and imprint collection, um, which included works by anyone who had ever set foot in San Diego, whether they had written about San Diego or had written when they were actually in San Diego. And this is the kind of thing that the public library and the historical society does far better than we and it, we are the University of California, not a local library, so we have seen no reason to engage in this kind of local history. The kind of thing where one of the collections we have is a very large mystery and detective fiction collection, which came from a rather distinguished collector in New York. Um, after the collection was accepted by the university, then any mystery novel that came into the library was just automatically sent to the Department of Special Collections. So we now have an extra 3,000 books, I have current paperbacks, sort of awful old things, um, a lot of which have nothing to do or duplicate um, things in the original collection. That's an enormous um, number of books that one just has to go through and sort of evaluate and see if they should stay in the Department of Special Collections or not. Um, one also can hope for luck and, and sort of serendipitous occasions. Um, such as a, an impromptu visit by the chancellor a couple of weeks ago when he decided for whatever reason when he was out on a walk to visit the Department of Special Collections. Um, and as he happened to be standing in front of a model of the university library um, and was talking about this wonderful library facility that we have, um, one can suddenly sort of show him this model and say, well, no, this isn't a great library facility. Um, we are large, we have a, a glass library um, in effect. One has great difficulty controlling heat and light and humidity. Um, one has been trying for years, apparently, at the university to convince the chancellor that, yes, there needs to be a new wing of the library. Um, he suddenly appears. One has a model one can show him. Um, he then begins talking, apparently, to faculty members about the new wing on the library. So maybe this has a good effect. I don't know. 
Um, I've tried to give you some idea of the, the pluses and the negatives. Um, I think the pluses outweigh the negatives, obviously, or I wouldn't be there. I think one of the greatest challenges um, at San Diego is to try and accomplish any of what I have been describing um, to effect some kind of change in a period of salary savings within the library. Um, this may be our greatest challenge at San Diego. The library is engaged on an in-house automation project. Actually, I think it's Bliss, which Columbia is getting too. Is it not? Right. Um, the figures for implementing Bliss at San Diego were underestimated by 100% two years ago. What is a $3 million project had been touted to the faculty and the administration as a $1.5 million project. There seems to be very little sympathy for this kind of um, mistake. So the library has <clears throat> done things like take out its own loan to pay for part of this and has committed itself to paying for the rest of this through salary savings. Um, when positions become vacant, they are not always filled. When new positions are granted um, by the state legislature, they may go unfilled for quite a number of years. Um, what it means, although there are all these pluses, is that I find the Department of Special Collections, I think to a greater extent than one would, to, would have had to worry about um, without the automation project, has to compete with other departments within the library for a shrinking pool of resources. Um, one finds that one has to make cases constantly. Um, and even when one makes a case successfully, sometimes there just isn't anything there to um, sort of implement the case one has just made. Um, I still have a, an optimism about San Diego. It's a community, um, both local and academic, that wants a first-class academic institution in town. Um, the hostilities of the 60s are certainly past. There are great opportunities for outside funding and a commitment on the part of the library and the administration to support the kind of changes that I've been talking about. Um, when I was looking through the archives, doing um, some of the background work for this talk, I was struck by a, a, a headline in a local newspaper in 1969 when the current library building, which is usually described as a spaceship that has just landed, if you have ever seen pictures of it, um, a headline that proclaimed that a unique library was taking shape in San Diego. And certainly the journalist wasn't wrong in 1969. Um, I would like to think that one could probably still use that headline today, um, that a unique library is taking shape, only that this time, instead of meaning the exterior and our building and our container that now one at San Diego is concerned more with what is contained in this building um, and that one will sort of take shape as a major university library at some point. So 
I would like to conclude here and see if you have any questions um, about what I am doing or what I have talked talked about tonight, um, or if you have any wonderful suggestions about how to effect a change in university libraries, I would love to hear. Thank Our you. Thank you. Thank you.